Hello gorgeous and welcome back to The Princess and the Bee. I am so excited to be here with you and be bringing you an extraordinary guest. I met Marlene McCohen way back in, God, I think it was like 2005 um, when we were both studying at Playhouse West Acting School in North Hollywood. And in my book, Mindful Meals, I share about how transformative this school was for my development. And it was also because of the extraordinary people that I was blessed to work with and become friends with like Marlene. And in this episode, we dive into how acting actually prepared us both for business, for developing our brands, for connecting with our customers. And that was the power of some of the things that we learned at Playhouse West, which is based in Meisner, um, the Meisner study, which is basically putting all your attention on the other person and living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Now, I've done podcast episodes on this before about the key to manifestation and the yes and principle from improv comedy and all these principles of acting that really apply to growing a business. And Marlene just takes it to another level in this episode with the success of her YouTube channel, Parrot Station. We dive into why you need to be passionate about what you do and how building your business on somebody else's business, i.e. YouTube or Facebook or anything else like that, is a weak strategy for long-term success. And Marlene has successfully built a business that she is 100% authentic about on this episode. And I just want to honor her for the, the openness and the vulnerability because sometimes, especially if you have, you know, a certain amount of followers or a certain amount of subscribers or, you know, these numbers that we think mean something, We think that everybody's got their ish together, right? When really we're all works in progress. We're all learning. We're all growing. And it's the passion that if you have that underlying of passion that drives you, that Marlene definitely shares on in this episode, which is why I have no doubt she's been able to grow successfully her YouTube channel to quarter of a million subscribers in just a few short years. It's that passion and that consistency and that discipline that she dives into what is required and how the lessons and the tools that we learned from acting and from Meisner and that study that we we did at that school, how that really prepared us both for growing businesses that we absolutely love. And I am so excited to share with you Marlene, and for you to hear her passion for birds that I have seen, I have known her since 2005 or six or so, and so I have known her to have this passion for birds, and the fact that she built a brand and a business around her bird-loving community just speaks to what you can do when you choose to show up authentically, be vulnerable, be open about what's really going down, and Put all your attention on your customers whom you love to serve because of this underlying passion that you have for what you do and for the mission that you are called to. So without further ado, I bring you the queen of the birds, the princess of parrots, 
Marlene McCohen. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys, and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Princess and the Bee. I am so excited for you to be here with me because we have a very special bee for this week. And I don't mean that, you know, just because she's a badass, amazing queen. She's also like the bird queen. This I have today, Marlene McCohen. She is a YouTuber. She's the founder of Parrot Station, and she shares her life with parrots and other animals. She teaches bird owners how to care for parrots, tame parrots, and most of all, give their parrots a cage-free life. She has a ton of birds. <laughs> She makes new parrot talk videos and parrot of the day videos for her sniffer community for her, her all her pets. And by the way, her pet stars that which have to be named are Rocky the Harlequin Macaw, Picasso the Mustache Parakeet, Jersey the Umbrella Cockatoo, Vinny the Gala Gala Cockatoo, Cody the African Grey, Sandy the Dog, Harry the Dog, Charlie the Duck a duck, <laughs> Starbucks the cat, Stanley the gecko, Path Pastel the chameleon, and Mr. Finch, our Finch. Like, holy moly, that's a lot of pets, Marlene. And a little bit of backstory about Marlene. Marlene and I go way back. She knows me from a past life when we were acting in Playhouse West over a decade ago. Yeah. And I have loved watching her blossom and create this parrot passion that has happened. And the YouTube subscriber count, it's like up to, it's like 225,000? Something like that. I Something like that. Don't look. <laughs> <laughs> but, building, but building this beautiful brand around this passion, because I remember your passion for birds, and it's just multiplied and gone on steroids, basically. So what inspired you to get started with YouTube and to, to use this as a vessel for something that you really love? Well, to be truthful, it, well, it all started. I didn't really have the respect for YouTube in the beginning that I should have. I was, you know, the serious actress. And then um, I just really, it, it all began with one of two things. One, my bird died. My African gray George died. And I thought to myself, I have to do something in the name of like him and helping other bird owners. That became like the most important thing to me. But it took me like three years to actually do it. And I had had YouTube videos years before, but I never like followed through with them. And I was just watching my sister watch YouTube all day long. And I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, so one, this is what they're interested in. It's YouTube over TV. And then we watched some trailers of people like actually they were of movie trailers. And 
all those actors were from YouTube. I didn't know, but she knew. And I'm like, whoa, that's what I'm missing as an audience. So I just kind of was like, oh, well, I can combine my love of acting and creating a show with my love of birds to help bird lovers. And I just kind of made sense. And it's hysterical. Your sense of humor is always been really unique. And it's something that I love that you just bring you just kind of brought the camera with you. And so how did you discover that? I mean, I know as actors, like we have that ability to just be comfortable with the cameras. So, but how did sometimes actors I've seen, they, they pigeonhole that to not be a part of their personal life. And so how, and pigeonhole, no pun intended, but like, (laughs) how did you, how did you start just allowing that camera into your personal life and into your life with birds? Um, well, it was kind of a transition as far as being comfortable with the camera. I was always comfortable with the camera and, uh, in general in our house, uh, my sister used to live here with us. We'd pick up a camera for everything. I'd be like, Oh wait, do that again. And I'd like give her the kind of cue line and then she'd respond when I thought it was something and she'd just pick up where it went. And so we did that all day long for ourselves, but we didn't show it to anyone. I mean, maybe we put it on Facebook, family chats, you know, So I always dreamed of having like a reality show around our life just because people in our house or anyone visiting is like, you guys are like so funny. And I don't even think like half of that gets shown because on YouTube, it's kind of like 10 minutes in this, in this situation that you're getting to see. But as far as, as a YouTuber, how did I start letting the people in to see the rest of my life? It kind of started because at first I made only educational videos. Then I thought, I want people to know how funny birds are and how funny situations are. So I started with Storytime Sunday, but I started like imitating my dad and imitating my mom and telling them all the stories. And I'm like, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them these people. So I just started picking up the camera one day and kind of doing like a vlog, follow me around kind of thing. And everyone surrounding me, especially in my family is really good at like picking it up. They're all natural actors except George, but George has learned to be. So it's, he, it's, it's kind of cool. Like George, you got to set him up and like get it on the first, like the real in the real, which I also know how to do from just like all my directing experience, which is like my real passion. So it was a little scary to let people in. I think someone said something key one day And that made me go, okay, I should show George more. So in the beginning, like I wasn't showing my relationship or who George was. I would just tell these stories. And then I started showing like Vinny, my bird dive bombed him one day. And I was like, that's funny. So (laughs) I'm going to post it. And then when I had a meetup, a guy came up to George and said, yo, bro, I'm so glad that you're put in the videos now. Because now when I watch you know, Marlene, my wife isn't like, what are you doing? Now I can be like, yeah, you see, there's a guy in here. Like, you know, so I was like, oh, wow, this, this does help the situation. Because as actors, we're so used to like hiding our relationships so that we go forward looking available and looking, not that you want to, you know what I mean? Just like, you know how it is in casting. They're like, oh, you have a boyfriend next. So you just keep all of that private. So I was kind of afraid to show that part of my life. Um, and it's kind of funny because sometimes people don't know who George is still, and I'll never like answer. So it's really funny. I'll just be like, haha, that's funny. I just want to see if they get it. And then the other day someone was like, I love the shirt that your dad wears. And I'm like, 
I'm like, this is great. Not correcting that. I need to live in this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny because people have said, I've had a couple people comment and like, is that your dad? I'm like, no, that's my husband. <laughs> I will correct that one because I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> We have a child together, <laughs> so. But looking at bringing that camera in and, and your director experience, how did you start directing, take directing into now what you have is directing a business in essence, because you just got, you have your fun, your featured fun subscription, your feathered, feathered fun subscription feathered boxes. Fun box, yeah. Feathered fun boxes and your merch. And now you just got, can I, can I say? Yeah. Yeah. You just got your own bird toy line. Yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting. Um, how did I take directing into managing people kind of? We're managing a business. Well, we're a very small team. So, um, like it's really me and, uh, Megan, who is amazing, who I really is just like been an asset and my friends, they, they volunteer like my friend, Nora and Tracy, like it's unbelievable how my friends, LL Michelle the other day just came and they just help me pack these boxes um, because, you know, with the bird world, there's actually not as much profit as it looks like because you have to get these things like from wholesale, then distributor. So it's a lot of good marketing in terms of like things look like they're a lot more uh, profitable than they are but they're a lot of fun and I think the way to get people to work with you and and help you out is to really be passionate about it and also to treat everyone like a team member is the most important thing is these are my friends these are my team and I'll do anything for them as well so I think um, that's I mean I know I answered so many different aspects to that but I guess the core of it is my mom says I was a born director since I was a kid from directing people to directing films to directing people to get to do what I want to happen. Um, but I'm also very fortunate that I have really, really good friends and um, a good team. And I think we probably look a lot bigger than we are, but we're very small. We work very, very hard. So I get to have really close relationships with everyone. And I think like we all need to learn to say what we want out of things, you know? So much yes to that statement. Cause I think a lot of times, especially when you're building anything, we're scared to say what we want. I mean, I, sometimes we're scared to even say what our dreams are. I had one client, she had told, me that she wanted a million dollar business before she'd even told her husband and we've been working together for eight months and i was like girl ask your husband for support and all it takes i think especially more so as women we get a little afraid to ask um and so how did you cultivate that ability to just ask for support when you needed it i i think it's uh something ingrained in my personality I had been uh, very, very shy. So as far as asking other people, people that are not in my family, I always did have a very hard time. But I think when you take the passion and cross it with the realization of what you can do and you make it about being for the world or for something else, then you'll fight for it better. You know what I mean? When it's for yourself, it's like, eh, okay, I want like a fancy car. But like, how can you stand behind 
that. I mean, you could in certain circumstances, but I think like doing things for the bird world and for the bird world to feel like they have like an upscale brand or like that they're recognized, you know, uh, you see driving down Ventura Boulevard, driving down Melrose, wherever you are in Los Angeles, it's like doggy daycare, pet hotel, doggy bakery, um, doggy chiropractic, like, like the bird world just doesn't have like all of that. And so I just wanted to bring that on that like more personal, exciting experience level. I think, you know, I think it's really about um, knowing your value. And so what would you say is the value that you are really just putting that is like the foundation of your company? That is the thing that, that is just driving you and your team to go forth and expand. If you were to put an, a label or a name to that value, what would you say that one is? Well, the core of why I made videos on YouTube was to hopefully influence people to take care of their birds better, to give them a cage-free life, like to include them, to show people how to include them, which is how it was easier for me to move into that reality-based situation. But when I'm building the business, it's also about the buyer. For me, it's like, I want you to feel like I have thought of you, like, with our boxes, like there's something to be said for having, sure, we can have like a parrot subscription box, but I want it to be an experience for you. Like, hey, you you went above and beyond for your bird. Here's the present for you. Like you are a good bird companion. And so like everything is like, for me, the, the core of it is making the bird world cool. You know, our shirts are cool. Like everything is not just slapped on like a, a t-shirt. I try it on. I have them dropping samples at my house. I go pick them up. I try it. I say yes, no fabric. Like I care about everything. It can't just look like, you know, you could buy it in Cabo because there's a macaw print or whatever. The character has to have personality. It has to tell a story. All of that is like, just like the drive behind it, making that you feel like you're part of a community. I love that. I love the the attention to detail. And I've seen that with your branding and how you just brought that in. Did you always have that, that kind of eye for branding or was that honed through your years of directing? Um, I think it's like, it's a lot of, a lot of things like one, it's uh, it, it was a dream since I was a kid. Like I used to go into like, you know, the department store and look up and see the names of people and their shoe line underneath and go, that'll be mine one day. Like that's what I saw for myself. And I literally throughout college and everything, I was like, how would my brands be? But I had no idea it would be birds. I honestly thought I'd, I don't know, like become an actor and then come out with a shoe line. And I design, like I draw bathing suit designs. I do all of these other things. But unless you have a platform or a lot of money, it's hard to uh, start. So it's partially that, but it was also a lot of like research in experience. Like I would go to like VidCon, I would go to Vid Summit, like the things you, you do like with the coaching. And I would basically try to see like, okay, what, what works? Like, and I would confirm that either I'm doing that or say, what could I do better? Like what would make this like more concise, but also like our Playhouse West training, it all has to be about like emotion for me. Like, like, does this make me go, Oh my God, like I, 
I, I love this or I'm emotionally tied to this or like in the name of one of my birds that I lost, like, you know, so everyone understands that. And then because we're like a very comedic family, I want things to be the inside joke. Either you get it or you don't get it. And that's what's cool. Like I want things to be highly personalized. So even our toy line, we named all the things off of things that you either may have seen on the show, our Instagram or upcoming, you know? That is, I love your through line in essence of your brand, right? Because I always think that like it's not, coming from the background of screenwriting and acting in Hollywood, like that really sets you up for business. If you've got that like hustle and that drive and that ability to see that bigger picture, because as the business owner, you're the director of the business. You're also the producer if you're funding it yourself. Like, so you are, and you're, and sometimes you're the lead, you're the lead performer. And so how did, how did Hollywood and, and that experience prepare you for, for everything that you're doing now? Yeah, it was, it's interesting because in some way it is the exact opposite of what I'm doing now. Because if I was just to go be an actor and you remember when like we used to go to the casting, you were a hustler and you were like, Marlene, this is what we're doing. And you'd like drop off our headshots and I'd need you to, like be the motive behind that. And we'd go drop it off. I was never good at selling myself. I was too shy. But once I started making my own films and the end result became so important, that's when I got like this business drive that I realized like, okay, there we can make something from beginning to end and I'm going to care about everything. I'm going to care about this more than being cast in someone else's film because I, I could be cast, do great work, and it could be edited bad, or the set could be bad, and I have no control, and then I'm in another BCD movie, which I've been in a lot of, and I'm proud for those experiences, because it shows you, like, how much you can do yourself, but um, for my, for my, you know, self-esteem, I guess, in that way, acting and just waiting to be an actor didn't really give me anything, but creating a movie and doing that myself, that gave me a lot of power. And when I realized I could do that, I was like, okay, I could go off and do something else and do that any single time I wanted. But still like you have like, where is the audience? You can make something amazing and where is the audience? So I'm just trying to, there will be like a peak at the end of all of this where it all connects and everyone will see. They just don't, know it yet but I know it you know what I mean I totally say the same thing because I I have worked with clients some of my clients have been producers and people in Hollywood and they're like are you ever planning on like will you ever write another movie I was like yeah it's just not in this season it's like yeah. will will it circle back I 100% believe it but sometimes I think like a bird you have to trust that it's going to come back to you so yeah. you let it go, you let it fly free and you say, you know what, I'm going to trust that it's going to come back to me because I know that that's part of what I do and that's part of something that's something I love to do and I know that it's going to, it's going to be able to come back to me in some way. I don't know the form yet, but I'm willing to surrender that form. Yeah, absolutely. It will because you are, you're in charge of something huge right now and you're building something big and I always knew you would because I just saw it in you and it's like, you're, you're doing this huge thing. Like you don't need that 
acting. You're going to be like a, a someone huge that can be like, guess what? We're doing a film today. And that's what you're building up. And that's what I advise actors now because I'm back in acting class and I have friends that are new actors and they're not there yet. They have to go through this process of like, like years and years of trying and maybe they'll make it and they're great actors and I believe in them. Or maybe they'll come back and realize like, whoa, I have to build something up you know, and I just feel like my one mistake was not building something up the whole time, you know? Yeah, I think that that, that awareness of having that audience, because when you, when you talk about building something up, it's about building that audience and having that platform, right? Yeah. Or is it something else that you're also talk, no, thinking I mean, of, like something that supports that? For us specifically, um, in our field, I think building up the audience is a very important part of it. Just the way the world is going today with social media. It's like back in the day when there was, um, you know, MySpace and it suddenly became the A&R for musicians, you know? I'm not saying that's the only way, but if I'm gonna make a show for Netflix and I'm in charge of that, and I'm gonna look for someone either that's like, wow, wow, these YouTubers are committed and making a show twice a week and executing it and they're doing the whole thing there themselves, like there's a lot of trust there. There's a lot of trust that this is an executor, this is uh, something. So that's what I would look for if I was head of production somewhere rather than someone coming in out of nowhere with no experience. And I think that you touched on something very important there of the consistency of the level of work that you're doing of having that, not only that commitment and saying that it's going to be, it, you're going to be doing it, but that consistency of being able to do it over years and years and years. I mean, I heard an interview with um, with Hugh Jackman and Tim Ferriss, and he was on Tim Ferriss's podcast. And he said, when he started approaching acting, he thought of it like a business where he thought, you know, business owners, it takes about five years to get to that point where you are sustaining a level of success that really feels comfortable and you're working at it consistently over the course of that five years and so he took that same approach with acting yeah and and that's the consistency that it takes and the vision that it's not just some you know because sometimes that vision especially when you get those initial rejections in anything that you're doing whether it's in sales or your you know your first rejections or your first haters on youtube or whatever it is but when you get those first rejections really about holding that vision for where it is that you want to go and what it is that you're doing so that that rejection or that hater or that whatever, that comment doesn't sway you yeah. from that vision so that you just keep trusting in that thing that's going to happen regardless of, and because you're committed to that. And I love the fact that you touched on that level of commitment and consistency that is required that people are drawn to, like workers are drawn to workers. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So I have to ask, because I, I know that you, like, when we first became friends years ago, there was this thing with birds that you called, like, sniffing. Yeah. <laughs> and I never understood it, but can you tell us what the sniffers are? I mean, you built a sniffer community, and yeah. what, is, what is the sniffing thing that you do with birds? I can't believe in all the time. I known you. I haven't had you sniff my bird. You have had me sniff your bird, and I didn't understand. <laughs> I didn't know what I was looking you gotta, for. You gotta come. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of like I know you're speaking a foreign language. 
I know you're communicating in that language. I just don't know what that language is, and I'm not quite understanding. You you probably didn't get the right sniff, but if you if you get a good sniff, um, birds smell like this baby powder and flowers. It's so bizarre. It's like there's it's just their natural scent. Or some birds smell like musk, and some smell like fruit. And so most of the time, I'll tell someone, I'll be like, "Hey, sniff my bird." I don't know. And then they go. Oh my God. Like, and, and then it just becomes when you're relaxing with your bird, you're just like, it's like smelling perfume. That's not overwhelming because you've got to work hard to get it. So, uh, I think the first time I made like the sniffers movie and started talking to people about it, they were like, you outed us. Like, and they didn't even notice some didn't even notice they did it. And everyone was like, Oh my God, you nailed it. Like, you know, so it's kind of funny, you know? And I love that you, you pinpointed and you built a community and you kind of like outed that that one thing that is for specifically like bird lovers who do it almost unconsciously, like they didn't yeah. even know that they were doing it. So knowing that, how do you take, how do you apply that into that like skill set of just seeing the what's obvious to you that other people don't see as obvious into your business? Uh, I think what happens is you just got to be truthful. Like, you know, I used to like, if we went out for the day or something or we're gone too long, I'd be like, mm, I just kind of need a sniff. And, or we, me and my sister and brother would joke. We'd be like, you know, like we'd see a picture of a bird and like, then I was just like, this has got to be more people like this, you know? And it sounds weird. And like, if you Google sniffers, it can mean other things. And so I'm just like, I'm just going to go with it. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's just truthful. And I think as long as you're truthful, things are funny. If, if, if a joke is like, you know, when there's some truth, that's when things are funny, when you're committed. And so I just went with it. And that's what people identify with because they're like, wow, you're seeing me. You're, you're understanding who I am and what I do in the privacy of my own home. I don't hear anyone ever talking about sniffing parrots. That and the fact that if I think it, I think the reason people identify with it is because it shows that birds are my family and, and, I'm a true bird lover. Like they're here, you know, like they're, they're with me and um, I shower with them. And it's not just about like, Hey, come from A to B or, or do this trick or let me use you for this and that it's legit. Like the way they are in the house, that is the entertainment I'm providing. And that is what I want you to see how I live with them, how I can have 10 of them across from my kitchen, all of them out, and it's not a, a disaster. Sometimes, of course, they're birds, they get into things, but I show it because people identify with it. If, you, if you're really playing and hanging with a bird, you're gonna get a lot of that personality, you know? Mm-hmm, and I, and I love that with sniffing, like I, I wonder if it smells like baby breath in a way, cause like, I do sniff my child. <laughs> like I, I when he's terrible, I'm like, there's like this breath that's kind of like musky, and it's but it's also it's like powdery, and it's like it's this like little scent that he has, and I'm like, I don't know how he gets it, but it's it's the it most amazing smell, and it's, I'm like, it's my baby. It is that, um, like you, when you smell a baby's head and it smells like baby powder, it's exactly yeah. the smell. And, and actually it's really funny because when my sister was born, she was much younger 
than us. And we wanted to kiss her and stuff. And dad was like, no, no kissing, just sniff. Sniff is just as good because he didn't want us like (laughs) sniffer and like, you know, and then like, I guess that probably activated something as well or like, you know, sniffing things you love, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, it's one of our senses and smell is so powerful for us to be able to experience the world. And sometimes it's those subtle things, those subtle scents that really draw us in. Cause it's, it's like what you said with having somebody with like too much cologne, then you're just like, Oh, it's, it's like repulsive. But if, if you have that, like it's subtle and you're like, it's just enough where you're like, that is, that is a beautiful, subtle scent that just feels like mine it feels so personal exactly it's a delicacy too um i I can relate to sniffing in a a totally different way but like in smelling that that like breath or that scent of whatever it is of like your baby's head or Mm -hmm. bird's head i'll have to smell your birds the next time i'm in la you gotta gotta come sniff my parents i'll smell all the birds (laughs) so how do you because i know you have you have more than just birds you have dogs, you have ducks, you have cats, you have geckos, you have chameleons. How do all of these animals live cohesively together? How do you train them? How do you allow them to all kind of live this cage-free life? I think it's just treating them like family. If, if the thing that people misunderstand about parrots and, and the thing with me is I grew up with them since I was seven years old. This isn't something that I came on later and said, oh, let me learn how to train a bird. Like I grew up living with them. And I think the thing is when you have that sensibility to an animal, you just instinctively know more and you know what they're going to do before they do it. You almost speak and feel their language. And so with feeling and receiving, you can also – transfer a feeling as well and i think that's something different that i do with animals and uh that's how immediately i sort of get them integrated to feel like family and it comes so naturally to them the animals in my house and it's something that has been hard for me to put in words but when i think about it because it's not like i do some active training like here's the dog and here's a it's literally like I'm communicating to the animal, like we are family, they are family, like this is not, you know, this is, this is not, you know, you just got to live harmoniously. And oddly enough, like my dog, she loves to chase squirrels, but a bunch of birds could be around her outside. She won't chase any of them. Like, it's like, oh, birds are family. Like, have you ever seen a dog that doesn't chase birds? Ours. And like, it's just something that they understand. And I don't know how to communicate in which way I communicate it to them, but it's like if you have them out all the time and 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 part of the family, and it's hard to say this because, too, I don't want people to hear this and go, oh, I just leave them out. That's dangerous. You know, it's just something that I have, and it's just something that a lot of people in my family have, and our dogs and cats are just not interested in the other animals. Yeah. Know? It's like uh, Caesar Milan. I heard that he can walk forty dogs off leash. He just—that's—he's yeah. um, just able to have that that rapport with with animals, with dogs specifically. Well, but it sounds like he had have- me down there, and I went and I sat with him, and we—I was on his show and stuff, and he had a llama come out, and we had our bird, and like he just has like 
that, you know, like he, and the way he explains it is, is a respect for the animal and, 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 you know, not approaching too soon and being too nervous and too excitable. I think it all kind of goes hand in hand with what we do. And he's just, they've, they've got some animals there and you wouldn't believe how they get along more than just dogs. It's really, it's really impressive. Do you aspire to have that many animals in one, in your home? No, I didn't aspire to have this many animals in my home at all. And do you um, think that it's possible though that you may double in the next five years? I, I, you know what it is? It's, I don't search out any of these animals mm -hmm. at all. Maybe my first George, uh, my first bird, George, the African great. Not he wasn't my first bird, but my first African great George. After that, it all became like, you know, they came to me and, um, the difference with birds and other animals is that most people don't have the skill set to understand birds. If I gave you a bird right now, as much as you love animals, if it bites you and attacks you, you're, you might not have the skills to know what to do. And you'll be like, I, I had to find someone that knows what this, and it'll get passed on and passed on because no one knows what to do with them. So I try to create like a community of people that like, I know that maybe a bird could go to, but even with knowing as many people in the bird world as I do, all those people that have the same gift with the birds, they have too many because we are far and few in between. So we're taking on a lot more than normal people just because we understand what's going to happen to them if they go to the wrong place. A dog or a cat has a great chance of finding a decent home. You can talk to a lot of your friends. I can't talk to a lot of friends and be like, hey, do you feel like having a toddler on you all day long that's going to scream if you leave the house, that's going to scream if you're in a different room? Like, you know, um, and with all that being said, you haven't even heard my birds once because they're unbelievably well-behaved. But um, – and they have a sense. They have a sense when we're filming. They have a sense when I'm sick. They're just like family oriented. But that's why I have so many. I operate pretty much like a rescue, you know? I love that. And so what is it that you would love for somebody to learn or know about how to care for their birds so they can be cage free? There's nothing you can learn in a minute. That's the hard thing. But the one thing that is important for people to know is that we're taking like you're in Australia right now. You see all of these wonderful cockatoos living a free life and that's how they need to live. And we're taking these, these birds that should be flying around. And not only should they be flying around, they're super intelligent. They can communicate like, Hey, my bird said to me, Hey, it's time for a bird. Imagine that kind of processing where they can tell you colors and numbers. And so the most thing I would advise to people is if you turn around and you have a bird in your house, it's been in a cage for 10 years because oh, I don't want to take him out because I have a cat. I don't want to take him out because I have a dog. It's dangerous for the bird or he doesn't want to come out because he bit me. It's all stuff you're telling yourself. So either you find somebody that's better to take care of that bird or you do the responsible thing and do the work that you committed to when you got the bird. And you can do that by watching my videos. You could do that by watching other people's training videos. You can do that by just having experiences with your bird. I think that's the main thing. But birds can be very hard for people to figure out. They're, they go through hormones. They go through all these different things. And then one day just bite you and you think it's for no reason. But if you're in tune with them, you're like, ah, I made this mistake. Mm. Like, like what type of mistake, if you can give an example? 
Um, some people are not as self-aware or hypersensitive. So like, let's say the bird is here and it's like chilling. This is like the bird. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so good. And the bird is like kissing me or something. And then let's say I go, oh, I want to get, and, and that fast hand movement freaked them out and they bit. Like, and you didn't know, you don't know enough to go, oh, it was my approach or my hands movement or um, many different things, you know, like sometimes you go to put a bird back in the cage and the bird doesn't want to go back and they're new to your family and they think they're going to be locked up forever and then they bite you and you're like he bit me he's staying in there that's not it you got to say the bird has bit me because he doesn't want to go back maybe he needs more time alone maybe he needs um something exciting to look forward to when he gets into his cage maybe he would like some warm water you know like you have to think like that and it's a it's a lot of attention on the other person, attention on the animal, like what we learned in Playhouse. And it's all focusing on not yourself. And also people feel how intelligent birds are. So a bird can uh, bite them after all this bonding and then they take it personally. And then they're like, why did you bite me? And also they feel that because the bird can say, go, go away. Like we have a bird downstairs that we're babysitting and the bird, when he doesn't want to see you anymore, he's like, go. And I mean, it's funny how people are, they don't think enough of the bird to lock them up and ignore them, but they think enough to go, oh, that was rude. You know, it's like hypocritical. It's kind of like having kids. Like, I mean, my son will tell me, like, go away. And I will know that he really just wants a hug. Yeah. Like, He'll say those words, but really he just actually needs a little nurturing. Like yesterday he, he told me, he said, no, go away. And I said, I said, do you just need a hug? And he went, yeah. And he just, he just like curled into me. But it's about that awareness and that being in tune. How, like this is, and this is something that I see consistently is that level of awareness of putting your attention on the other person. And something that I've, I, like from just our conversation today, like you're constantly putting your attention onto your customer, onto the birds. And it's, is it, was that kind of ingrained in you from Playhouse of putting your full attention on the other person and really just being yeah. in the moment with, with your customer or your birds or your audience or the, the moment of what it is that you're doing? I think so. You know, we, we're, we're not perfect. We have a lot to learn and like, you just got to be open to that is the main thing. And when someone complains, you have to be like, well, what, what really are they trying to, you know, like we have a situation that arises quite often where someone has ordered our box and then they email us and they're like, I just got the notification that it's on the way out. Um, but my bird died. And so I, it's like, we got to pull the box and, and what we do is I say, I, I'll write to them personally. I'll say, hey, would you like to donate the box in the name? Because they've already prepaid in the name of Parrots First. Then I take, I go send me a picture. I'll pull up the box. I'll ask them to send me a picture of their bird. We'll open the box up. We'll print their picture. We'll write on the back to like the, the rescue that it's going to, the name of the bird. This is their picture. And then we'll repackage it and change the label to go out to the rescue. And there's a lot of things we take a lot of time doing behind the scenes that people don't know. Like after a box comes out, a mom will email us, my daughter really wanted the anniversary box. Can you make it happen? And they don't know that I have to go order more pictures, more of different things. And I'll do it because like the mom wants to be the hero for the kid, you know? 
So the most I can do, I will do. Or like, then they see the new box and they're like, I want, I want, actually, I want to change it. I'm like, okay, you know what? We'll take a little from this box and a little from that. And we'll, sometimes I wonder if we spend a lot of time doing that, but everything has to be personalized because they need to know that they're getting the experience. And, you know, sometimes there's angry people that you just can't please and or sometimes you'll be like oh shit someone on our team sent something that might not have been as, as seemingly as sensitive and, and we just got to work to always be better it, whatever i can oversee i try to but um megan who works with me she has a great sense of of our personality and what we're trying to achieve so that that's important that you bring every single person you bring on has and understands that goal i think Mm hmm completely agree of holding that collective vision to build beyond that because otherwise if if they feel like it's just a job or they're just you know something like it it doesn't have the level of intention or care that it can have if it's somebody who really who really just is invested in what the mission is and and in you and in, and believes in that and when yeah. you can find that, that is that is the golden team, and it doesn't take many. It, that's the thing is that a lot of people, especially a lot of business owners that I see, like they think it takes like this huge, gigantic team to be able to get anything off the ground. And people hear this thing of like team, and it could be one person, it could be one assistant, and but that one assistant is so committed to the mission, is so committed to the vision that they're just constantly going above and beyond because they believe in you they believe in what you're doing they believe in what's you know what the vision is and uh the most important thing because i know you do like life coaching and stuff the most important thing i'd want to convey on that note is that you have to believe in your team and when they come to you with great ideas you have to really think like Oh, that might be a great idea you might have improved upon something and if you don't have if you don't make them feel valued and listen to their ideas and and really take it in you didn't choose the right team member and you're you're not a good team leader and so you have to trust in their vision and their um their ideas as well because that's what makes people understand that they are a team you know they have to have a say and they have to be valued if you don't do that and you're very into yourself and how you want things to go and you're not open then it's never going to work for you mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's such a poignant point specifically around building that team so that you have that so that it is a team effort instead of the one person show and then like you've just kind of delegating and just yeah. delegating for the sake of delegating which doesn't actually bring people into being invested in the mission and the vision right there has to be somewhere for them to go you have to have a dream for your team as a whole mm -hmm. so what is your vision and your dream for your team and for parrot station and where this venture is going i want us to one day be um and there's a lot of parts of this that we still need to work on and everything's always a work in progress but i want us to one day be you know this like brand that can um sustain a rescue because a lot of times what happens is like you said are you going to double like all your birds i don't know i'm not trying to but um you get the the bird rescues are very often 
people in their homes that have a section like kind of I do with a bunch of cages and birds like out on stands and that's the rescue. And what people don't understand is how independently owned all these rescues are. And then the, the rescue owners get older, they become 70, 80, whatever, they die, and there's no one to take birds. There was a bird rescue that had 800 birds with nowhere to go. You can't even rehome one to someone with experience. Imagine 800. So my whole goal in building a brand is literally to make parrot station the number one place for people to shop and get parrot product so it can one day sustain a large rescue so that you heard it here oh my goodness i love that i love that i just got like this this just like feeling in my stomach when you said that i love it yeah it's i mean else how else can you do it like i don't know like and we're so small we're so tiny and people don't necessarily know of our website and our website still we're still like working out all these kinks and improving it and sometimes we don't have the time because we're so focused on the customer and the brand but like i don't see any other way like we need to be the next chewy so that we can have a rescue attached and we can have an education center and we can you could go and sit in a cafe in like a, a huge botanical center looking thing and, you know, maybe pay five bucks to get in and that, that goes to the care of the birds and then you can get educated. You could have a cafe with birds flying to, like, I don't know, like, I just like think, and then there's this brand that's able to sustain that. And then maybe one day create parrot stations all over. I have no idea, but these birds need somewhere to go. I love that vision. I mean, right down the street from where we live now, there's a there's a crazy cat cafe. So, That's franchising cat parrot stations yeah. <laughs> to be able to have parrot rescues everywhere. I mean, I love like the vision that you painted just was so beautiful and so. I mean, I saw it of just being able to sit and enjoy a cappuccino and have birds fly over me. How do you prevent them from pooping on you, though? That's what I'm curious about, like from pooping on your head. Oh, they, they don't. That has probably maybe happened once in my life. I don't even know. Maybe like I found it in my hair. But they, they I train them. I train them to be potty trained. They're not always perfect, but it's also about training yourself. It's like, oh, do you have to go potty? I know you do. I'm going to put you on the stands. But a lot of my birds will fly back and go potty or they'll get off of you. They don't want to potty on you. If you're, if you're interacting with them all the time and you're like, no, 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 I don't want to go potty here. Let's put you here. And if you do different things to get them trained to know that what to associate the word go potty with what to do and also know that it's around the time. If it's not around the time, you can't force them. Then you'll you'll be able to potty train them. My birds, they learn so quickly. I think it's also because you're so in tune with them as well. Yeah. It's like, you know, just with having a child, like we're kind of like, I'll see Declan and I'll be like, do you need to go potty? Oh yeah, I do. Or like, I'll be like, I'm getting up to go. And we just went through the whole potty training phase and now he's good to go and in his little little underwear and he gets himself set up and then all he needs help is just like how to get on the toilet but it's because of that rapport and because of being in tune and not having i think there there is a there's an awareness that you have with your birds that is very similar to any any parent who's very in tune with their child where they you kind of know before and you anticipate it before they even realize that they need it 
And then suddenly, and and the same is true with, with your customers. Like if you can anticipate what your customers need before they even know that they need it, then suddenly that, that, that just puts you on a whole other level showing, showing up and how you show up and how you deliver the things that you deliver and serve them with. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I would love to move into some rapid fire to wrap this bad boy bird bash up. Bashes and party, not bashes and like doing mean things to birds, of course. So you ready, Marlene? So we dive in. All right. What is your favorite? Who is your favorite character in a book or a movie and why? Um, My cousin Vinny. And I love both of them. I love um, Joe Pesci and I love Marissa Tomei. I could totally see Besmer like doing that part. That's just a genius movie in my opinion. Yeah, it was a great movie. (laughs) What do you consider to be your kingdom? What do you mean by that? It's totally subjective. (laughs) Kingdom? It's completely metaphorical if you want it to be. It can be anything. Well, there's this kingdom that I have in my head that lives, and it's uh, Vinny and, and his character, my bird, and he lives in Boxtown, and, like, there's, like, it, there's literally, like, a, an animation in my head of, of how these birds all interact and what world they live in and, and who lives in the opposing world, kind of like the Smurfs, they live in there, just like that, and, and, and when I'm with them, I imagine myself walking in and I hear all their voices go, oh, there's that one again. Oh my God, she's got a new bird. And then the other one goes, she does, she does, she does. Like, what's going to happen? And then the other one's like, I've seen this before. If the bird goes in that room, we're dead. If the bird comes in here, temporary. Like, I just imagine all their voices, like when I walk down being them, like in, in, in analyzing me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This kingdom I live in. I hang just all day. It's it's kind of like in Frozen <laughs> when because I've watched that movie a lot because it's Declan's favorite movie is Frozen one and Frozen two now and it's like the the Kristoff and the reindeer where you just like he's like you just read what they say and then you just say it out loud yeah <laughs> and that's exactly. exactly and you hear what they say and you you read their faces and then you just say it yeah it's like that. I did, before we dive into any more rapid fire, I did remember one more question that I wanted to ask you about how you grew your audience. What was the strategy that you implemented into growing your YouTube audience to now, uh, I think around a quarter of a million? Uh, You just got to have fun, like, um, and you got to not be insecure and, and really care about them more than you care about yourself or how you look. Um, it's gotta be about telling the story. And, you know, uh, I, I had a friend that I thought she was brilliant on YouTube and I was trying to help her and, um, she was funny and all this, but she was on my face, my this, my this. And I'm like, listen, I know what it's like to be like that, but if it tells the story and I look like hell, I gotta go with that. And I think, uh, you just gotta not be afraid to be you 
And also I wanted, I, I felt like they were my friends. I started feeling like I know who I'm talking to. So like in the beginning I didn't, I'm just talking to a camera and I'm like, Hey guys. And it felt weird. And then people started communicating, Hey Marlene, can you do this? Or Hey, and you learn about their bird. And then I was like, go on parrot station so I could see your birds. And then I'd see their birds. And suddenly I know who I'm talking to. And when I know who I'm talking to, I'm like, you know what I didn't do? I didn't tell you this. And then I'm like, Oh, you know what? I got to show you this. And then it just grew from there. So it was more of a collaborative effort with your audience where you're building the channel with your audience and kind of that back and forth. Yeah, you have to be in tune with them. But that's not to say that I don't try new things. Like we had like our game show. Every time you try something new, it'll get the least amount of views. But you got to like, if you like it, that's got to be the most important thing. Um not to say if everyone hates it and thinks it's the worst thing, that it still is the most important thing. It's just like, if you believe in something, you'll be like, no, no, no they'll see what I'm trying to do. You know, just try mm -hmm. and give them different things. We have new things that are going to come out that no one knows about. And I'm hoping that, you know, they catch on, but in the end of the day, it's really just about them getting all the right info. So. And you're getting that info from your customers, not from like going down the research rabbit hole, like, Googling, what is it that people want with their birds? Um, yeah. Or is it kind of a combination of both? No, it's, it's mostly like, oh, you know what I haven't told you yet? I haven't told you this, you know? And then also remembering what you haven't, remembering that not everyone's been watching you from the beginning. So you might need to retell mm -hmm. things, you know, or stuff becomes old and then you've got to re revamp it you know, put it out there again. And, you know, it's hard because you think you're like, oh, they know who Vinny is, da, da, da. And then you get used to your audience and you create for them, but you got to sometimes try to create for the new people coming on. What about with diving into like the nitty gritty of YouTube and tagging and video captions? Like, how do you go about doing that just from a strategic marketing standpoint? I hate that stuff. I don't like, I, I, I know how to do it. Like it's hard because a lot of times you got to create like this, this title that is truthful yet it is, uh, you know, um, what do you call it when it's like fake, like uh, when it's uh, a clickbait, clickbait. And, yeah. uh, you know, clickbaity title that it, it holds true. But then I'm always like, hate doing that because I'm like, ah, but you kind of got to do it because you got to be like, here's the thing. But I don't like it. Like, I don't know. I, that's my hardest thing. Cause I just, by the time I've created the video and all that, I'm kind of feel done with it. I'm like, yeah, I want to do the next thing. So like the tags and all that, I feel like, uh, sometimes I don't give myself the best moments there when I should, you know? Mm. Well, it, it sounds to me like, you know, what your genius zone is. I mean, your genius zone is like seeing that big picture of the creation, creating that creation. And then just like a film, you'd hand it off to like the marketing and publicity department <laughs> to be exactly. able to take it, take it and distribute it. Because that's the department I need, you know, the department that's like, hey, you have this, you ever watch a YouTube video and it's entertaining, but like the title refers to one thing in the middle that's very, very small. So I don't do that. But when you do that, um, that kind of like works, but I, I, I don't know. Like, it's not to say I wouldn't, it's that I don't even get the, uh, it's like, that's where my skills end, you know? 
or that's, I mean, that's where like your genius zone is. I mean, and that's the thing that I've seen is so often with entrepreneurs when they are operating 80 to 90% in their genius zone, doing the things that really make them successful and they delegate the other things that they're like, ah, tagging, I have no idea. Like spreadsheets, that's what I delegate to my team because I'm like, and processes. I'm like, that's, I can set up a process, but doing, repeating that process and doing that process on a daily basis, that ain't my jam. Like I'm the creative type. So knowing that where your genius zone is so that other people whose genius zone maybe is that distribution or is that, um, you know, program management or is that um, customer service or is that, you know, financial management or whatever department it needs, but like they are allowed to operate in their zone of genius, just like you operate in your zone of genius. And then you have a collective genius rather than just like you trying to do everything and trying to be exceptional at everything or trying to be exceptional at things that you're, you can do and you're good at, but it's not really that thing where you thrive. And for you, like your videos and how you direct and seeing that picture and creating that product is your jam. Yeah. It's hard because you know, the title and thumbnails and all that are the part that then everyone gets to see the jam. And it's kind of like, I'm, 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 I'm like, I did the, the, what I love to do. And I would love for you guys to see how great this video is. But if you don't, um, (laughs) you know, yeah. And I think that circles back to the passion. Yeah. It's like, that charisma can't be, you can't fake charisma. Yeah. And that charisma that you have and that you exhibit and the passion that you have for your birds, like that is marketing in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. So back to rapid fire, (laughs) back to rapid fire. What woman would you want to trade places with just for a day? Um, I always liked Oprah. I think Oprah was just I, the way she focused on the other person, the way she was prepared, um, the way she had read everyone's book that she had interviewed. And like, I just thought she was a great, um, a great interviewer and a great, a great person that really just focused on that other person and without being showy or, you know, um, judgmental. And I haven't seen, every single thing but i loved watching oprah if you were to have your six i love i loved oprah i didn't i never actually watched the show i watched her later stuff i watched like super soul sunday and those those later evolutions of of oprah but then going back i did i've watched some of her old stuff just on on youtube yeah and seeing that and how she just interacts and has that level of engagement and insight I get it. It's kind of like with um, Meryl Streep acting. Yeah. I never really understood Meryl Streep. Like I, back when I was a teenager, I was like, I don't get what the big deal is about Meryl Streep. And now I'm like, oh, I know. Like I see the big deal about Meryl Streep. It's like how, like how, how amazing she is, how intricate she is, how able to diverse her, her range is. Like that, that's something that you have to see. But unless you're in it, unless you're in tune with it, then a lot of times you're like, I don't know what the big deal is. And yeah. I've heard that with like, oh, people who, because a lot of times that answer, I do get that answer a lot with like, that it's Oprah and seeing it and 
knowing it and watching her stuff and then you're like okay now i get it now it's like this intuitive thing where it's like okay now i understand why oprah is how who she is and how big she's built her business yeah. and how she's just so in tune so yeah i totally i totally get oprah plus she's super diverse and she did the color purple and like yeah she's an actress as well i mean unbelievable i could see you as the parrot station oprah yeah. yeah. So if you were to have your success at twice the speed, what would you have done differently? If I would have had it or if I could have had it? If you could have had it, would have had it. If, if, I mean, if you, if you would go back in time and take one or two lessons or learnings or apply two different strategies, what would you have done differently in the beginning of growing your YouTube channel and your business that, that you wish you knew now? or that you wish you had had known back then that you um, know now that you wish you would have had. I think the main thing I always regret is not continuing YouTube when I first started it. I think mm. that was a big thing. Like I, in 07 or 08, I was on YouTube making videos and then I just didn't anymore. And I didn't have make them with any goal, except I felt I had something to say. So I really wish I would have done that and seen the value in it. Um, because I didn't. And, um, so that is the first thing. And I think the next thing is when I actually did pick it up again, actually taking it serious. Like I didn't have any goals to be a YouTuber. I just had the goal of helping people with birds. Like that was it. I didn't see anything about a business. What people don't tell you about YouTube is you have to create a business because if you don't, it's not sustainable. How can I commit to making you guys content and giving you all of this for free, which I'm happy to do, but then not work another job because it takes all of my time. And so you get to a point where you're like, if I want to keep doing this, I have to do something to make money. Otherwise, I can't keep doing it. And then it's really hard because the viewers will resent you for advertising to them, but like they'll go watch like Pretty Little Liars or whatever, and there's ads, and no one is resentful of that. But YouTubers are like a one-man band, like paying people to edit or paying people to, you know, and, and create for you, asking nothing in return. So you have to create a business literally to keep giving. Does that make sense? And that's the thing people don't understand about YouTube, and I just wish people understood it. I think they understand more, but it's like, if no one knows that you're selling stuff and you know, maybe I make what someone is earning at McDonald's pushing out YouTube videos only, then how and why would I want to keep doing this? Well, you have to have a drive and you have to have a passion for your goal, but after a while it's not sustainable. So that's the main thing with YouTube. I completely agree. I had a client who was an aspiring YouTuber a couple years ago and I said the worst mistake you could make would be building your business on somebody else's platform because YouTube could change the rules as to monetization because her whole business model was based on when she would be able to monetize using YouTube ads. And I said, you're building it on somebody else's platform and the ads that you'll be making is like pittance compared to what you could be making in, in, your, in your business as far as like if you were selling your own products or services. And when she flipped that script so that she was able to see, oh my gosh, I actually need to build a business around YouTube. It's not just about how many subscribers I have or how many uh, like run in monetizing the channel. It's about 
building the business to be able to support. And it's like my mentor, Brendan Bouchard says, he says, you have to make the money in order to support the mission. So building that business so that you can give more. I love that, that sound bite <laughs> because that is, it's so, it's so true though. It's like, that's exactly what you needed to do in order to be able to serve people and give them the information that they need to be able to take care of their parents. And then that exchange of energy, they get to pay you for toys and feathered fun subscription boxes and merchandise to, and support that. Health, then we have to pay. Then in the end you find out, Oh, well I have to pay someone to manage that. And then there's really no, it just becomes a wheel that you're kind of managing until one day something will hit and you have to run on the passion. So it's interesting because it's like, sometimes I'm standing there and I'm like, oh my God, we have so much work. We have more work than we're capable of. And we're probably maybe breaking even with the people we need to hire. I'm like, I could have just been a housewife. And like, it hits me and, and that's hard work in itself. Like, I know how hard that is because, you know, and I'm like, so it's like, it's like, it's like, but then I wouldn't have the pressure, you know, of everything else, like in, 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 as far as the world knowing, you know? So you have to really think like, when you're watching a YouTube or what they're giving up to just bring content to you. Imagine if George was like, okay, come on, you're not making money, like get off YouTube, go do something or any, you know, or people's parents. So that's why I literally, it's, it's a, you people don't even make that much money off YouTube uh, ads, but I always watch YouTubers ads because I'm just like, I, I, I know like how hard it is, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and being in the trenches with them, it makes you respected. It's like, for me, writing this, this book of mine, like, I so respect authors. I don't care how poorly written your book is. I will, like, support you, the fact that you got a book out of you, because the process of that creation, of being able to do that and then put it out there and say, like, this is something that's done. This is something that I do. And with YouTube, it's like doing that every single week, twice a week sometimes, sometimes yeah. more and yep. doing that and having that, that consistency and that ability to produce that mad respect for when you produce. Like when I used to do, I used to intern and, and read scripts and I would be a script. I was a script reader and I would write, write the stuff. And I, I, I so desperately wanted to help all these people with their, with their screenplays because there were so many that I were, re uh, that I was rejecting, but I had so much respect for the fact that they had written them that it actually made it look so easy for me to be able to write it, like yeah. write, write my own. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. I now know the work that's involved, the level of work, the level of dedication. I can do this too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, with that being said, I don't want it to sound like I'm complaining about it. Like I love YouTube. It gave me like, it gave me everything that I'm passionate about, like to the opportunity to get to present that to people. And I would be a huge advocate for YouTube for anyone trying to get a message out into the world. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm huge on that in that aspect, but as far as the viewers go and knowing how hard it is and how hard the work is, and they always assume things about you. They're like, look at you in this house. And it's like, no, that is not the story, you know? So it's interesting from that perspective. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely that, that perception that people can have about you. I mean, I know that when I first started dating Spike, he, uh, 
I had some of his fans come up to me at a convention, actually here in Australia, the first time we came. Um, and he, his fans were like, so you uh, hit the jackpot. <laughs> pot. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, he's older. He's been doing anime voiceover for years. So he must be. And I was like, yeah, because gold digging for me is like, <laughs> it's aiming high for that, for that, eighth floor studio apartment because <laughs> like, yeah. that's what he lived in and i was like okay like it's that perception i said yeah anime doesn't pay that much and that the perception that people have because of what they think fame is and what they yeah. think you know they see a large following and they don't know the amount of work that went into creating that following or the creating that that subscriber base or creating that business yeah exactly. and so that's why i have mad respect for any person who's grown their business, who's grown their, their follower account, who's grown their, um, their subscribers, who's written a book, who's done anything by putting themselves out there because staying in the dungeon of doubt is just so suffocating to, to prevent you from even moving forward. And it prevents that passion from coming through you. And the, I mean, just that all the gifts that you've been able to give to your community of sniffers, like who would have felt voiceless about their sniffing capacity. Yeah. So I would love to know, last but not least, Marlene, how do you crown yourself? What do you mean? How? How do I crown myself? I don't think there's time to actually crown myself, honestly. So I think about that. I like have this patio I want to decorate. I want to sit out there in my dreams. When I moved into this house, I'm like, one day I'll sit outside and have a cup of tea, but it's just impossible. There's so much going on. And then on top of like the full-time job of like, the website and the merch and all that, and then producing for YouTube, there's all the birds in the house that I got to take care of. So I don't feel like I've been able to crown myself yet, but I am waiting for the day. I'm excited to celebrate with you when you have that cup of tea on your patio, oh my surrounded God. by birds, undoubtedly. Yeah, I think... I think that's why I don't get that cup of tea on the patio because I always like, okay, okay, well, we'll have tea together down here. <laughs> you, know? you just have, I love, I love how you just have such a heart for animals. You always have. And your ability to bring that passion and that care and that intuition and that awareness to other people to help them feel supported in the bird community is, is so beautiful. So where can we find you? How can any closeted sniffers out there find, find your community and subscribe to your feathered fun boxes and support you in, in growing this, this vision to create the parrot rescues? Well, um, you can definitely find me on YouTube, Marlene McCohen, just type in my name and definitely take time to subscribe because it really means a lot to me when you guys subscribe, it kind of like Numbers don't mean anything, but the amount of people that love birds, that's what it tells me. And it also is a direct reflection of like the work that I put into it. So I do love that. And of course, check out parrotstation.com where you can check out our merch and new things that we have up there. Toys. We have so many amazing toys. And check back too, because we're improving and working on the site. And also featheredfunbox.com if you want to get your uh, feathered fun box as a subscription box for your birds, which I'm really excited about. Amazing, Marlene. It has been so good seeing you again. Yes, I miss you so much. You need to, uh, well, I just need to come down there. You just need to come down to Australia and experience all the funky birds and all the macaws and all the, the I mean, 
the sounds here in the morning are magical. And I'm not a, I'm not a bird person, but it's magical being in this, like hearing them. Like I love hearing them and all the different sounds that they make. It's it's so amazing in the morning when you just crack the windows open. Come back because that's the way they should be. You know, I see people like in Australia, and then birds come to their balcony, and like I'm just like, see, that's the way it should be. Those should be my my birds, like where they get to be here and then go off and fly and not be stuck in a house. You know. Yep, and then they get to wander in the restaurants here. They have no problem with the birds, like walking in and coming into the restaurant so long as they're not attacking the food they're just oh you're kind of like it's it would you would love it here i would you would love it here i'm oh that's my dream <laughs> all right as always my fellow princesses the beers own your throne mind your business because your reign is now Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.